Good morning, everybody. Today we'll be doing Daf Kuf Vav in Maseches Yevamos. Yesterday we fell a little short, so we're 10 lines up from the bottom of Kuf Hayam and Bez. And we got a definitive finish line on uh, Kuf Vav and Bez. So I'm going Andrew's going to be just staring at me with a stopwatch until we finish. So let's go. Chalitza Bishnaim. We're still talking about Chalitza. Mitzvah's Chalitza. You know, the truth of the matter is, mitzvah's chalitza might, might be, is a controversial issue. Is chalitza a mitzvah or not? That will come into play today a little bit. But anyways, chalitza b'shnayim is just a reference to the Mishnah where we had a three-way machlokas, whether you need two judges, three judges, is that we end up paskening. Rav Shimon of Yochanan Sandler said that chalitza b'shnayim, that performing chalitza in front of two judges is okay. Rabbi Kiva had the unusual shita that you could do it in front of one judge. Let's go into this. There you go. Halacha is not like Rav Shimon and Rav Yochanan Hasandler. Uh, rather, you need three judges. Okay. Says the Gemara. Rav Nachman had said already in a different context. The Amar of Yosef Bar Muni Amar of Nachman Chalitza Bishlosha. He already said that in Dafkofalif. So this is redundant. Why do you need both of these statements that the Chalitza needs three and it's not like the uh, pair of Tanaim that said that you need two? Says the Gemara If you only said this first ruling that you need three, you may have thought that that meant that only ideally you should have three. But if you have two, it's okay. Kamash Malan, no. Rav Nachman is informing us with this uh, second idea of when he says chalitza b'shlosha that um, no, or rather that ain halacha zug. Rather, when he says that halacha is not that you could do two, he's explaining that even b'diavad you need to have three, uh, right? That's what it says. Kamash malan ain halacha zug, right? But yes, zug. And if all he said was halacha is not like Rav Shimon and Rav Yochanan and Sandler that you have two, then elaketana kama. Then how about being a di'eved? Then you would have thought that be di'eved, right? Chalitza is okay in in front of three. Ava lechatchila boy chamisha, right? Then you would have thought lechatchila you need five. So the right because we saw that that it was also a machlokas three versus five. So be that as it may, tzricha. That's why Rav Nachman made both statements. They teach you that three is lechatchila and three is be di'eved. Three is ideal, ideal, ideal. However, we have a mice. Uh, we see that bishas hadchak. That's what's interesting here. That there's really an ideal, and it's lachatchila and b'diavid. But there's another step beyond b'diavid, which is me'akev. Like, what if you really need to do chalitza? Chas v'shalom, it's the Holocaust, right? And you don't know if you're ever going to see this person again, and you can't get a bezin together. It's not the kind of environment where you could really... Uh, where, where you could really get a proper bezin together, but you need to do the chalitza, right? Somebody dies childless, you can imagine, and you somehow get to the brother. This was the case, in fact, during the Khurban as follows. Maisa Shachaltsu, right? What was the incident? To an individual, a Yavam and a Yavama were in jail, right? Um, that's how the mission says it, that they were in prison. And the case came, and they asked Rabbi Kiva. This is towards the end, right before... Right, he was one of the Asari Ruge Machlis. Rabbi Kiva famously, as we said in the, saw in the Gemaras, darshaned from prison. Remember that? Um, and he had said that the only thing that he can do, the analogy, right, of the fish being asked to come out of water, right, that in, in water, that is the only, uh, that is the only th- uh, 
place, the world of Torah is the only place where he could survive, like a fish in water, right? So the Mishnah said, And in that case, Rabbi Akiva said, right, again, despite the absence of, of judges, right, the, of Dayanim, he still allowed it. So even though, again, it's both L'Chadchila and B'Dievet, once you're having judges, apparently it's not Me'akev. So that is the case that we had over there. So the Gemara asked, The way the Misa is presented is a little bit unclear. It sounds like they performed Chalitza in jail, and then afterwards they presented themselves and they said, we had Chalitza, can we get it, you know, a stamp on our Chalitza from Badatz by the Chachamim. But the question the Gemara is asking is, we have zero evidence. We don't know these people. We don't have, nobody witnessed it. So that really, is that, we're going to go that far to allow that Chalitza just by like, take their word for it? You know, we just had all of these, all of these Mishnayas in Yavamas where a woman can't just get married based on her own testimony that her husband is dead, Right? We know that ain't mishnayim. So why would it be that only in chalitza we believe everything? We don't need any witnesses at all. That doesn't seem. That seems already a little bit out of bounds. So I'm that we have witnesses. Now still, that's a big, that's a big chiddush because we're learning that proper witnesses are enough without any judges at all, which is a chiddush in its own right. But at least we need to have verification that it happened. We're not going to go and say that it happened without witnesses at all. Now the Gemara looks a little bit more into the story. Did the incident happen out of prison? In other words, the, the Mishnah mentions jail, the prison. But what happened? The Chalitza took place in prison? Or Rabbi Akiva was in prison? Or one or the other? It's a little bit unclear. So one possibility is that the Chalitza took place out of prison and then Rabbi Kiva had already been incarcerated and they came to ask him to Shaila in prison. That's one possibility. Or maybe the actual event took place in prison. So says the Gemara, that both, that in prison, really modified both parts of the sentence. That everything happened in prison. This is obviously during the time of the Chorban Sheni, and it was very, very, very difficult time. And so it was a Shasat Chak, and during that Shasat Chak, they required witnesses to verify that the Chalitza actually took place, but Rabbi Kiva, mind you, Rabbi Kiva was the one in our Mishnah that allowed one dayan, right? Uh, so this was sort of like inconsistent in, in with his Shita. There, Tosfos here, Amazingly, Uvamaisa Lifnei Rabbi Kiva, the last Tosfos on Kufei Amabez, goes through the whole story. This is, goes back to, um, I had, uh, you know, I, I've quoted As a Driven Leaf uh, before. Uh, it's a book that brings to life this time period. Um, it, it's really a book about Elisha Ben Avuya when we talk about the Gemaras of, of Acher, Elisha Ben Avuya. But in that book, it has a whole section of Rabbi Kiva in prison and the different Shilas that were brought to him when he was in prison. And it brings down all the Gemaras like in a, uh, in a uh, story form. So, so, so anyway, the Tosefta, the, the Yerushami rather, quotes this whole story that um, 
Rabbi Yochanan and Sandler used to hang out right outside Rabbi Kiva's cell, and he used to just be disguised. He was disguised as a peddler selling things, and they would talk to each other in riddles about you know different things. Say, as, and Rabbi Yochanan and Sandler would call out as if he's saying, "Does anybody want needles? Does anybody want knitting hooks?" And basically, Rabbi Kiva would answer in in code, and they would embed the shaila and the answer into their uh, back and forth dialogue and code. Unbelievable, unbelievable uh, time. Anyway, so now we arrive at Kufav Amadalaf and we invested eight minutes and here we go. Tanar Rabbanan. Chalitza Mutas Kshera. What's going on here? Chalitza Mutas. Okay. What is a mistake in Chalitza? As the Gemara. Ezu Chalitza Mutas. What's a mistake in Chalitza? And why would it be Kasher? So now we're seeing like the Right, the, the extreme cases when Chalitza is kosher. Um, so, Amar Reish Lakish, Kol She'om Lo Chalot Vechachat HaKonsa. An unbelievable thing. You have this guy. He's, uh, he, the woman is not interested in marrying him, okay? But he is very interested in marrying the woman. We'll see the case soon enough. It's going to come up. But he's not that smart. He's not a big Tamil Chacham. And we want to protect her from having to marry him. So, we tell him an unbelievable thing. We tell him... Do this procedure. Let, let me show you how Kedushin works this day. I'll be Masada Kedushin. Do this procedure. Uh, put the, the shoe on. She's going to, don't worry, she's going to take off your shoe and spin your face, and it's going to be great. You're going to just read these psukim. She'll read these psukim, as we'll see. That's part of the chalitza. The last Mishnah in this parak actually goes through the procedure, in case you're wondering. And so it's one of those things, like in Gittin, at the end of Masechah's Gittin, the last ninth parak of Gittin, it teaches you what a get's supposed to look like. We reference it throughout the entire Masechah. Some people learn it backwards. So this parak also, we, you know, we keep referencing the procedure of Chalitza, we'll learn it soon enough. But anyway, they go through the whole procedure of Chalitza, as we'll see in, coming, in next uh, Ahmed Bey's, and telling him that that's Kiddushin. So he's doing it, thinking that he's being Mekadashar, and then at the end, they say, very good, very good. Uh, you were just cholitzer. You, you just did chalitza. Says the Gemara. I don't know if they are. He says, wait a minute. So Rish Lakish thinks that when it says the chalitza, that when we say the chalitza mut'es, this inadvertent chalitza is kosher, that we mean that he literally has intention to be mkadashar, and Rabbi Yochanan says, that can't be, because if, because we learned with regards to Chalitza, that both of them, both the man and the woman, have to have Kavana to do Chalitza and know what they're doing. And if they don't both have it, meaning if even only one of them lacks Kavana, the Chalitza is not good. And you, Rish Lakish, are going to say that when he has reverse intention, that Chalitza is going to be kosher, how could that be? I learned that you need to have the Kavana. This is what I meant when I said it's controversial whether it's a mitzvah, that discussion does play into it here. You know, our parak is called mitzvah's chalitza, but it could be a misnomer, could be, according to some mefarshim. Because Berman was asking, is this a question of mitzvah's tzichos kavana? So I don't, you know, it depends. First of all, is it a mitzvah? But be that as it may, without getting too bogged down, and the lundus here, of which there is plenty, suffice it to say that Rish uh, sounds like you don't need to have the proper kavana, and Rabbi Yochanan certainly needs both the man and the woman to have proper kavana, at least to know what they're doing. Right? That's another discussion. What's the kavana? Kavana smitzvah chalitza. 
or kavana to know what you're doing. Okay, so let's assume we're talking about kavana at least to know what you're doing, which this man certainly lacks if he thinks he's being mekadoshar. So rather, Yochanan says, no, 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 no. The Bryce that says chalitza mutesk shera is actually talking about a totally different thing as follows. Ella, kol she'omrim lo chalotz lo almanas shetitein l'chomataim zuz. This is fascinating. They say, right, they say to the man, uh, do chalitza, right, and she'll pay you $200. In other words, the, again, let's assume in all these cases that the Yavam wants to marry her and she's not interested. So they're trying to incentivize her. So they say, do chalitza and she'll give you 200 zuz. So the, the Yavam, right, is going to be uh, willing to do it. The question is, do you have to, does this tonight work? What's going on here? Says the Rashi, you have to do the first Rashi Kuvavam Aleph over here to say to explain the following. Why? We'll see soon enough. What's happening here? As follows. This is a chalitza mutes for the following reason. They present a tnai. They say, here's a tnai, right? And, and she, uh, that she is going to pay you, don't worry. Do chalitza and she's going to pay you. Well, guess what? Tnaim don't work with chalitza. And as we'll see, they do work with get. When we get to Masechah's Gittin, there's going to be getting al tnai all over the place. There, there's going to be scenarios where you can't do it tnai because tnai al mashakas of Torah. You know, if you make it tnai, that's a nonsensical tnai. Or it's nigh that you can never fulfill. That's a different thing. But it's nigh, but neget, that's like meisim b'chal yom. You could always make it to nigh neget. B'chalitza not. Why? Fundamental Rashi. First Rashi over here in Kofav Medalis. Because tnai has to be patterned after tnai b'nei gadu b'nei ruvain, as we will see. The tnai that the, as we were entering Eretz Yisrael, that the shvatim of God and, right, uh, right, of b'nei ruvain made. And, the Tanai had certain parameters. Tanai Kofel, we don't have to get into every detail of the Tanai, but we do have to mention one of the details. The one detail is that it was not done Ayyide Shaliach. Rabbi Leibowitz, the great Tafiomi master, points out, this is a halacha, this is a, uh, something that we learned to Torah Shabbat Peh. You would never know exactly which aspects of the Tanai, B'nai God, B'nai Reuben, need to be applicable uh, without the Torah Shabbat Peh. Because, you know, what are you going to say? That, all of the litigants in the Tanai, their names have to be God and Ruvain. You know, like, where does it end? You know, so it happens to be there wasn't a shliach. You would not have known that. Okay, but let's focus. Chalitza can't be done with a shliach. Get it? Gittin can. So because chalitza has to be, right, the procedure, as we'll see, requires both the Yavam and the Avama to be present. No substitute spitter. No substitute spitting, as Andrew says. Beautiful. Right? Ah. So therefore, that means by definition that it can't be done on the shliach, which means by definition it can't be done out tonight. Ah, that's what makes this a mutes. It's mutes. It's uh, it's not. It's right. It's compromised. Right. It's under false pretense in the sense that the condition can't be can't ever mean anything. The fact that the condition can't ever be placed on a chalitza means that if you did the chalitza conditionally, you're all you're doing is tricking the guy. She has no obligation. The woman does to pay him. Again, the guy wants to marry her. She has no interest. She says, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just do the chalitza 
and I'll pay you two hundred for two hundred zuz. He's willing to find someone else to marry, and but but they're making the condition: do the chalitza on the nasa. I'll give you two hundred zuz. He does the chalitza under the false pretense that she's going to give him the two hundred zuz. Well, guess what? She's going to stiff him after the chalitza. She's off. She's giving him a blank. Uh, she's giving him a check. He's going to catch it. That that check's bouncing, baby. Okay, so that is the case. So. Anyway, that's what Yochanan thinks is going on here, right? Because it can't be that he doesn't know what he's doing. He has to have kavana, and she has to have kavana. What he doesn't know is that she's not going to pay him, and that the tanai doesn't work. And how is Rabbi Yochanan going to support his explanation as follows? Tanya Namiyachi. There's a price to say this. Price says, Beferish, chalitza mutes kashera, ezu chalitza mutes, kol shomim chalotz la amanasu titan time zuz. Yeah, it defines, the price literally defines it like Rabbi Yochanan, that a... Inadvertent mistake in chalitza is one where, uh, exactly our case, where he inadvertently does it with a tanai, thinking he's going to get the 200 bucks. Right? There was a woman. She fell in front of Yavim. She doesn't want to be married to this guy. So they said to him, he was uh, not an etam al-chacham, and they said to him, They said, do the chalitza, she'll give you a time zuz. Right? And the Yavim did the chalitza, the Yavama, Send him a check that bounced, and then she herself bounced and went and, and off on her merry way. And Rabbi Chia said, despite right the, uh, the subterfuge here, right, despite the fact that it was all tonight and she didn't fulfill the tonight, the chalitza is totally valid, right? Okay, so now fifteen lines down, I'm going to say another story with mistaken pretense as follows: Okay, so <coughs> another another case by Rabbi Abba. Amarlah. And Rabbi Abba told the Yavama, Biti Amodi. He says, you know what? So why did you go to Rabbi Abba? So we already said, we'll see it in the, we'll see it if we get to Ahmed Bey's. The, uh, this is something that you do. You first go, as we've already discussed, to the Shah, to the Zikanim, and you first find out if it's a good Shidduch. That's a, just, just good practice. You don't want to have a mismatch just for the sake of the mitzvah. So as we say, that's the first thing you do. You meet with the rabbi and you see, should we really do Yibamir? And he said, Amodi, yeah, I actually think this shidduch could work. Fine, so Amala Ima, but guess who was there? The potential mother-in-law, meaning the Yavama's mother was there and she said, Yeshivasa zu amidasa. It's a funny lashon, Rashi explains. Yeshivasa misyabim zu amidasa zu itakanta. In other words, yeah, Amodi, yeah, yeah. The best thing for her is to sit put and that's the best way she could stand up for herself, which is to say, we do not want to marry this guy. She's not going anywhere. So Amrullah, so he said to her, Yadatlai, is there something that you want to tell me? Rabbi asked the Yavama's mother, is something you want to tell me, something wrong with this guy? So Amrullah, in, yeah, there is. He wants her money. To quote uh, Rabbi Ali, it's a great family master. He's a gold digger, Andrew. He just wants to, she's obviously was wealthy, and he was after her money. And she doesn't want Amarlah, so Chiyabar Abba says to the Yavama, Lo Nichalach, is this true that you don't want to marry him and you think he's just a gold digger? So Amarlah, Lo, I really don't want to marry him. So Amarlah, so Chiyabar Abba suggested like this. He goes to the Yavam, and sure enough, the subterfuge is on. The, the, right? He says, Yeah, he says to this guy, he was obviously not a Tamachacham, says, I'll tell you what, here's how we do the procedure in, in this town. You do the shoe thing and the spitting thing. It's going to be great. And that's going to be, that's how we do the, I'll be your Masada Kedushin. Don't worry. I'll show you everything what to do. And sure enough, he walks him through the Chalitza process. 
Okay, so the guy unknowingly performs chalitza, and then he says to the Yavam, the Rebbe Chiyabar Abba does, says to the Yavam, something went wrong. Now that you've done this Kiddushin, I'm sorry, I may have, I may have, uh, something went wrong in the Kiddushin. Now that you've done Kiddushin with this procedure, she's puzzled and there's nothing you could do. You'll never be able to marry her because something went wrong with this Kiddushin procedure, knowing full well what went wrong. He did a chalitza. Now the truth of the matter is, it's possible that when he did this procedure, by the way, nothing happened. Because don't forget, Rabbi Yochanan holds that this chalitza is not kosher. That this chalitza is gurnished mit gurnished. It's a shayla in the, in the mefarshim where there's something really happened here at all. But be that as it may, Rabbi Abba certainly told the Yavam that something happened. And he says, now she's puzzle. And chalotz la chalitza me'ayasa. And now you have to do a real chalitza. Now he explains to him that what he's doing is chalitza. Because don't forget, according to Rabbi Yochanan, he, the Yavam has to have das to do the chalitza. So he tells her, right? So he, so he says that he's puzzle. Now do a real chalitza, and then alma. Because now that you've done this first procedure, this kiddushin went awry, and now she's in a limbo state. If you care at all about her, she, you're never going to get her. So you might as well just do this kosher chalitza. And the guy was a nice enough guy to do chalitza again. Did he recognize that the second procedure looked so strikingly like the first? Probably not. Anyway, he does the chalitza with kavana, and then she goes off on her merry way. That was their shtick. Is this disingenuous? Why is this allowed? Who would allow this to happen? Desperate times call for desperate measures. It, it is a discussion in the Mepharshim here, a very big one in fact, how this was allowed, whether the first chalitza had any, uh, any halachic validity and, and, and the like. But be that as it may, what we see here was that this was, let's assume, the most pusher thing, if you're going to go with Rabbi Yochanan, is that, the, is that this was just a trick, and this was a way to get out. And uh, for whatever reason, they didn't think that, they thought that they, they evaluated this guy, they thought he was nice enough to do the chalitza when it was a kiddushin, the first time, and, and nice enough to do the chalitza properly when he realized that he wasn't going to marry her anyway. Okay? Fine. So now another story. Rav Papa's sister-in-law. I think it's his wife's sister. Bas Chamor, der of Papa, right? Okay, so his sister-in-law falls to a Yavim she didn't want. So also look at made that bias. So they, they go before Abayah. I guess apparently this was like a pretty common shtick, right? You assume that these men won't want to do chalitza because they're eager to get married. But if they do a procedure and you tell them, and the rabbi tells you, you did the procedure wrong, so then already they defer to the rabbi, right? So interesting, right? Like the chatechila, they, the, they won't, they won't uh, comply. But once they know that something's off, then they will, fine. But be that as it may, it sounds like over here, and over here also there's some different interpretations of how it happened, but it sounds like it sounds like they didn't follow up with this, with this valid second chalitza. So that's problematic. This was Rav Papa's question to Abaye. He said, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. How did you do this shtick? If you didn't do the follow-up chalitza, then it, aren't we stuck here? Or you didn't do the follow-up chalitza. You told him, Right, you told the Yavam that he's doing a Kedushin, and therefore he certainly didn't have Kavana. So aren't you worried, Rabbi Yochanan, that he needs Kavana? So Abai asks, He says, wait a minute, you have to understand. What am I supposed to tell him? In other words, this was the only strategy he could think of to get the Yavam to do Chalitza for her. Wait a minute. 
Okay, so how is that? How, how is that an answer? If you if you if you hold that he needs to have kavana, so then what do you do? So let's hold off for a second. So Amarle, so Rapapa explained to Abaya as follows: This is what you should have said. Isn't that fascinating? The story illustrates the as to what this chalitza mutes is. So he says you should have done it al tznai, but if you did perform the chalitza al tznai, so maybe the two hundred zuz would have incentivized him instead of the thought, the thought that he's going to get kiddushin, and then that may have been enough to incentivize him, and then she could just give him a check that bounces. So Abayah says, you know what? Fine, let's do that. <laughs> in other words, they still have the yavam in hand, and Rapapa was very concerned. He said, "Wait a minute, you can't do this shtick without a follow-up." This is how some unfortunately explained it. That what happened was that Rav, uh, that Abaye suggested to do the first part, to do the chalitza mutes, where he thought he was being mekadesher, and he didn't do another chalitza. So Rapapa might have said, "Again, each guy, you have to read the situation." Rav Papa could have suggested that he does another chalitza, right? Like, like in the first case, where he does another full-fledged chalitza. We tell, tell him something went wrong with the first chalitza. But maybe they estimated that this guy wouldn't agree to do that. Oh, so now, with the second chalitza, they do the Rabbi Yochanan version of a chalitza mutes, which is the one with the money incentive. Okay. So the vatsa of the chalitza, so they did it with the money incentive. And then, Amarlah, Ziv Havle. And then, sure enough, Abaye. Not only did they do the shtick, but Abaye amazingly said to the, right, Chalutza, uh, the Yavama, that she has to pay him the money. Now that's interesting, Rashi. Why? A fascinating Rashi. It's true that she doesn't have to pay him in order to fulfill the Chalitza al Because Chalitza never happens al alma. Ah. What a beautiful idea. In other words, yeah, you don't have to pay him because of the chalitza. The chalitza is valid regardless. But you made a promise, you know, that you're going to give him a time zuz. You don't want to be, right? You don't want to renege on a promise. It is like a schir b'alma. It's a business deal. Or you make a business deal, you have to have some integrity. So you have to pay him for that reason. You promised him a time zuz. What kind of Jew gives a, a bouncing check? Oh. Her papa said, now, I'm a late. That's not a real business deal. An unbelievable idea. She could say, she didn't, she didn't say, in other words, it's clear, and this is the amazing chiddush over here, that yeah, okay, I get it. If it was a real business deal, then of course you don't give a bouncing check. That's, that's obviously against business ethics. Barry, um, he, if you haven't listened yet to Andrew's uh, Kosher Money podcast, then uh, when he appeared on the Kosher Money podcast, then I don't want to know because that's unacceptable. So you got to go back to listen to it. But on the Kosher Money podcast, Andrew said, you don't give balanced checks. It's just one of the good business practices. However, this is not one of those situations where you have to uh, perform good business practices because this is a situation where you're tricking the guy from the get-go. <laughs> and therefore, it for whatever reason... Seems appropriate, at least they felt it was appropriate to tell him after he did the chalitza, thinking he's going to get two hundred bucks. Yeah, we we were just kidding. We were messing with you. Thank you though for doing the chalitza. We see this precedent as follows. Milo Tanya, did we not learn that you could do that? What's the case? Let's guy. Let's say a guy is 
fleeing Alcatraz. And there's a guy who's willing to take him out over, over the, uh, the uh, body of water over there, the bay, into San Fran, okay, to take him to the mainland, okay? But the ferry guy is overcharging him a ridiculous amount, right? He's gouging. So, but Amalie told Dinar Vavirani. So, if you're escaping Alcatraz, you could say to the ferry guy, yeah, you could say, here's, I'll give you a dinar, just take me across the, the, the way. Einlo el Guess what? Halachically, it really was supposed to cost $15. That's how much a ferry to Alcatraz costs. But you're escaping jail. So, you're allowed to say to the guy, I'll give you $1,000, just take me across. And then, guess what? When you get across, you're only high to pay him 15 because it's not a real business deal. So that's an interesting, right, idea. That business deals done out of desperation do not carry the same kind of, uh, right, the, you don't, it's not a violation of integrity to uh, over-promise and under-deliver when it comes to these, right, desperate business deals, because they're not real business deals. They're just a desperate move in order to get what you want to accomplish. Now, you have to pay them what it's worth. So in the case of a ferry, Pay him the cost of a ferry. In the case of Chalisa, which is usually for free, you don't have to pay him anything. So that's what it says. You only have to pay him the ferry uh, fee. So So this is where we learn the, the concept of when you are desperate, you're allowed to mess with the guy and fool him and tell him you're going to pay a certain amount, but the business deal is not binding. So here too, you could say, I'm just joking. I obviously uh, was just... Right, and this is again the Mefarshim say only where it's artificially inflated. In that situation where it's artificially inflated due to desperation, then you're allowed to underdeliver, and it is not a violation of business ethics. And so similarly here, we were trying to incentivize the Yavam, but somehow amazingly, it's much to do so um, even disingenuously. Wow! So Abai responds, "Amalei Avu Checha, where's your father?" What, what's going on here? Rav Papa was actually, uh, Abaya was very impressed. He thought this was a really sharp idea. So he says, where's your father? So Amalei B'masa. He says, he's, uh, he's at the house. He's home. So Imcha Echa, he says, Amalei B'masa. They're both, they're both home. They're both in town. So Yabu Ene Yishchivan, an unbelievable thing. Mind you, Abaye was an orphan. Abaye, what's going on here? Abaye was so impressed with the sharpness of Rav Papa that he said to himself, only somebody whose needs are taken care of by a full complement of parents can have the freedom of thought to think so uh, sharply. That was what's going on here. Uh, Abai himself had a sort of like, I don't want to say a complex, but was sensitive to that because he had grown up an orphan. He himself had accomplished quite a bit, right? He was a Rosh Hashiva uh, over here. But be that as it may, I guess you could say that he figured how great it must be to be so unfettered. But in so doing, the Mepharshim explained, he had inadvertently, Abai had inadvertently exposed the parents of, of Papa as being, uh, as being like the source of great, um, I guess, chus for Papa. And when you do so, when you speak about other people and you call them out for these kinds of situations, you're actually... Uh, bringing an eye and hara on them, I guess, in a certain way. And then Shemaim starts to evaluate whether they really are worthy of such a son. Long story short, they both died as a consequence of that inquiry, which is a whole story in itself. But 
we move on. So there's an unintended consequence. But the point, uh, as far as the Shaka Levitaria, is that Abaye thought that this point of Rav Papa, of this, right, Mishatayani Bacha, uh, is something that is a very sharp point indeed. The analogy to crossing the river uh, in a point, time of desperation when you're uh, getting out of jail is a good analogy indeed. And therefore, they allow this bounce check to work in the case of Tznai of the Chalitza, fits within the Shita of Rabbi Yochanan, and this kind of Chalitza should work. Amazing. Okay, so 20 lines up, Taner Abanan, a Brisa related to this. Chalitza Mutes Kshere, right? Still within the idea of Chalitza Mutes, get, get Mut Apostle. Oh, Sarashi right away says, get Mut Apostle, why? Because a get can be done all day, Shaliyah. And therefore, Tznai does work. And therefore, if you don't do the Tznai, if you don't fulfill it, it's going to be Puzzle. Oh, Chalitza Meuseis. What's Meuseis? We'll see. Meuseis means forced, coerced. Aha. Can you, can you coerce Chalitza? No. Apostle. Get Meuse Kasher. But get Meuse is Kasher. So there you go. The contrast between a get and a Chalitza. Chalitza can be done inadvertently with a, right, uh, with a premise that's wrong, but it cannot be forced. The contrast is a get can't be done, mutes, right? Because it can be done with tenai. However, it can be forced. Why so? Echidami? Like this. First of all, what's forced? So, nami. So the Gemara says, what do you mean? Chalitza. What do you mean by forced? If you say that he wants to do it, he's willing to do chalitza, so then chalitza works, it should also work. In other words, what kind of forcing is this? If he's allowed to do it, that works for chalitza and... If he's willing to do it, it works for Chalitza and forget. And if he says that he doesn't want to do it, so get Nami Lo. So get is also not going to work. So we're trying to find a case where for Chalitza it's not going to work and forget it will work in a case of coercion. So Gemara explains, First of all, Chalitza will be always kosher. So we're going to amend the Brisa here. We're going to say, Chalitza Mutes is always going to be kosher. Forget Mutes Olam Puzzle. And get Mutes is always going to be Puzzle. But when, and now we're going to say that with regards to coercion, Chalitza and Gitna are the same, actually. And it's going to depend on whether he's allowed. Zimnim kasher, zimnim pasel, whether he's willing to do it. When is a kasher, when is a pasel? Like this. In other words, simply, well, what's coercion then? If he's willing to do it, then of course both the Get and the Chalitza will be okay. If he's not willing to do it, both the Get and the Chalitza will not be okay. What do you mean? The Tanya, well, watch this. Yakrivoto. What's Yakrivoto? What's this going on? Well, the Pasuk says, if you bring a korban, right, of an Ola, you should bring it. Yakrivoto, what we're getting into here is the concept of kofinoso ad she'omer rotsani. This is the classic source. This Pasuk of Yakrivoto teaches you that uh, he says rotsani, he says that he's willing but only as a consequence of coercion. We'll see this again, uh, very much so in Gittin, but let's walk it through here. We teach you here that we can actually force him. So wait a minute, that is a Chiddush, because you say, It says, that, right, because that's what the Torah says. The Torah is saying, when it says, Yakrivoso, means that we make him bring the Korban. Wait a minute. Can you bring a Korban against your will? Tamad Omer after all. When it comes to korbanos, we say that korbanos only work if you do it willingly. So this conundrum by a korban, when we say we force him to bring a korban, even though a korban is something that needs to be brought willingly, that is the source 
of the following idea. The idea that we can coerce somebody to want it. Yeah, you know you want it. And so we're forcing him to want it. How much could he want it if we're forcing it? Uh, that Ramam discussed in Hilchas Gershin, here quoted in the art school, the second parak of Hilchas Gershin, the whole idea of the Pintaliyid always really wants to do the right thing. And that's uh, without getting into the entire sugya, which is a big sugya indeed. Again, we have a lot of sugyas here. <clears throat> without getting into the entire sugya, that, says the Ramam, is the premise of how you get out of this conundrum. In other words, it's voluntary? Not really. We're forcing him. Okay. Well, how do you force something voluntary? Well, the Pintaliyid wants to do it. And since the Pintaliyid, he kind of should want to do it, the good part of him wants to do it, we kind of uh, patch the bad part of him to realize what the good one part of him really wants to do. And classically, we'll see this in Gittin as well. And certainly that's the case, right? We want force guys, right? We don't want to have a gunos here. So we force guys to give Gittin all the time. Ah, you need to give a get willingly. Oh, he's giving it willingly. Don't worry. <laughs> okay, nine lines up from the bottom. Another look of chalitza cholten afal pisha ein makirin. You can do chalitza even if who the judges don't recognize who the yavam and the yavam is, right? So let's say they come in front of the judges and we don't recognize them. So the bezin could still do the chalitza. Memanin afal pisha ein makirin. And similarly, the same could be, do, could be done with Miun. You don't need to recognize the wife. Well, that places a lot of the burden of proof on the star. The star, better of Chalitza, as we'll see uh, in the last Mishnah, better be uh, well written by people who recognize them. As we're almost arrived at the Mishnah at the symbolic time of 613 a.m. So it says, But a get has to have also, uh, for get, the Bezdin has to recognize. Or, or Miun, get Miun. Why? Because we need the document to be solid. Because, again, because we don't recognize, we don't require the Bezdin to recognize them. As the Gemara says, the Chashin and the Bezdin Tohen. Right? In other words, the court may not know. But because we don't enforce the court to know and recognize who the parties are, therefore, because we don't enforce that of the Dayanim, we have to enforce it of the Shtar. However, Rava had the exact opposite approach. Rava di Deomer, so this first part was Rava quoting, right, Rav Schorah and Ravuna. Rav Schorah, Tosas points out, uh, he may have taught him, Rava said that he only taught him one thing. Turns out that maybe there was more than one thing, because after all, he learned this thing. Okay, but maybe, okay, so that's a, a, little, a little bit of a, of a thing with Rav Schorah and Rava. But be that as it may, here Rava points out his own, his own opinion. That no, that the Bezdin actually has to know. The Dayanim have to know the exact opposite of the of Shora's opinion. And that's why the Fikha Kotsin get Khalitza Makirin. Yeah. You could buy your get Khalitza in the Shuk, even if the, the, the sofa doesn't need to know anything. The 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 Adam there don't need to know anything because after all the burden of proof is the in the Bezdin, according to Right, Rava, and therefore, get Makirin. So both the get Miun and the Chalitza don't have to be written with proper witnesses. Because we have expectations of the Bezdin to know what they're doing and to recognize them, and therefore, according to Rava, we don't have to rely on the Star as much. Uh, it's the exact converse, right? We don't have to rely on the Star as much because he holds that we do rely on the Bezdin. Okay, 
So now, 10 minutes, we turn to Kufav and Beis, last Mishnah in the parak, Mitzvah's Chalitza, and finally we're going to walk through the process of Chalitza as follows. Mitzvah's Chalitza. What's the Mitzvah of Chalitza? Again, is it really a Mitzvah? That we'll have to uh, leave for another time. It's a little bit of a controversy. Be that as it may, Okay, so the, the Yavam and the Yavama go to the Bezdin. So the first thing you do is you sit down with the rabbi and they see whether this is a good shidduch. Right? They contemplate Yibum first. And that's from the Pasuk, as we've already mentioned. That's what the Pasuk means when it, when it says that, right? That So first they say, is it a good shidduch? They decide it's not a good shidduch. Okay. So then she, they start saying the, the psukim. And these psukim are exactly from the Pasuk, right? So there's a text. So she says, Right? You look in the, it's all, uh, it's, they have, so to speak, a bencher that they read out of. Um, just like Kiddushin. And she says that Pasuk. He says his text. Mezrashi explains, in Masechah Sota, they explain, right, that this, why this has to do with, uh, why this has to be done in Hebrew. Okay. Then, the next Pasuk, Then you do the procedure of what? The Chalitza and the spitting in his face. Okay, so from that, the Mishnah learns that the actual spittle has to be visible to the judges. Believe it or not, this is something they're very mocked on, as we'll see. Then she says the following text, right? This is what we do, right? Like sort of the concluding text. This is what you're going to do to the man who doesn't want to build the house of his brother. And she says the final text in the Parshas Chalitza. That's when, until then, they used to make them read it. Etam was a city, okay? And in that village, when Rabbi Hurkanis used to be the rabbi, he would also read the rest. He completed the rest of that parsha. And it became established there, and so is the practice today, to read till the end of Parsha's Chalitza. Very nice. That became the minhag. Be that as it may, at the end, the, what does the rest of the, of, the, of the chapter of Chalitza say? Right? That, that's the last part that you read. That it's called Nikrashma Israel. From now on, we're going to call it Beis Chalutz Mitzvah by the Yanin below Mitzvah Talmid. And the question is, who upon who is incumbent this nick of this idea? Again, the word Mitzvah may be a little bit of a misnomer here, but the question is, who is upon who is it incumbent to call this person Beis Chalutz Is that the Dayanim from now on, or like the Talmidim, or like the Shul membership? Rabbi Yehuda explains it's everyone in attendance who has to say that. Fine. So now, says the Gemara, Amar Rabbi Yehuda, Mitzvah Chalitza, Korah V'Korah V'Choletzis V'Rokah In other words, Rabbi Yehuda is now summarizing what is, what is the procedure, right? She, he, she recites Korah, then he says his Psukim, then we do the Chalitza and the spitting, and then she recites the final Pasuk, bada bing, bada boom, we're done, we've did Chalitza. Gemara asks, okay, so why is Rabbi Yehuda teaching us? It's like that Amar Rabbi Yehuda, that Tzach Adash Be'achav, what is he teaching you by giving you the mnemonic of the Eser Malkus that you already know? The Mishnah just explained the procedure. So what is he doing with this summary? That this is the mitzvah, again, the suggested, we'll call it, the suggested procedure 
But if you do it out of order, as we've already discussed, can you do the spitting and the shoe out of order? Lace lanbo, meaning we have no concern about it. Not that it doesn't work. It actually, on the contrary, it does work. We're not worried to do it out of order. That's the suggested order. It's the best way to do it. But out of order also works. That's what he meant when he said mitzvah by this. Tanya Namiachi, and sure enough, we have a price to support that. As we've learned, with regards to the spitting and the shoe, usually the shoe is supposed to be done first and then the spitting, but if you prematurely spit, also good. And the chalitza is effective. Amar Okay, let's talk about reading these psukim. When you read these psukim, uh, she shouldn't say the awkward pauses. She shouldn't say low. That would be like saying, right, when, when uh, Yaakov goes for the bracha, so he says, Anochi, Esav Bechorecha, and we say he didn't really lie, because he just said Anochi randomly, and then he was confirming that Esav Bechorecha, okay. Uh, don't do that, because you don't want to get the wrong idea, because again, if she says low, pauses for a long pregnant pause, and then says, Avayevami, I really love my Yavam, Demashma Avayevami. Right? You should not do that. You should have no half-sake between the low and the avay of because you don't want to give the wrong idea that she likes the yavam. So Ella, just say it like this, really quick, no pausing. Lo avay of I don't want him. But lo likvile and similarly, he also should not say lo lichudei, right? Chafatzti lichudei. Don't leave a hanging uh, low and then later say chafatzti, I want. Because it sounds like he wants to marry her. Ella, lo chafatzti lakachta. Make sure that that low is juxtaposed to the chafatzti, nice and tight, so that nobody gets the wrong idea. So Rabbi Amar, eh, come on, man. We're all here, we're doing a procedure of chalitza. I'm not so worried about this pause. Afsuke milsahi. The break between the, the two phrases is really just an interruption of one long word. Afsuke milsa leislanba. And that's just called an afsuke milsa. He's pausing, it's a pause for a breath, but it's not changing the meaning of the word, therefore he's not concerned to be so makpid on this. Ravashi Ashkechela Rav Kahana. So Ravashi once met Rav Kahana. Can he start makpid lo avayavami? He saw that Rav Kahana was being super makpid on this. He made sure that they did it in one breath like Haman's kids. So Amar lo lo savarle mar lahad rava. He says, don't you hold like rava who does not require this pause? So Amar, who does not require rather to be makpid that there should be no pause? So Amar lo mo'de rava lo avayavami. Um, so he says, no, the, the lo chafatzti, Rava maybe wasn't so makbid. But the lo avayivami, believe me, Rava was plenty makbid on that, and therefore I will be as well. Okay. So I'm going to buy Gita, the chalitza, so licht of hachi. He says, when you're writing a chalitza document, you should write, akrinuli today, mean me'enyivami, adivayivami. What's going on here? Oh, the concept of, can you write psukim from the Torah? How many psukim from the Torah can you write? Uh, without sirtut. This is all going to come up in Davov and Gittin soon enough, God willing. How much Torah can you write? Psukim. Now, mind you, a mezuzah you could do, right? That's not, that's psukim in the Torah, but there's, there's sirtut, right? Sirtut meaning, right, when you're making the lines. So if you're a sofer, you're really supposed to have sirtut if you're going to be making lines, okay? But even, but if something's sanctioned, tefillin, sirtut, right? But apparently there's no sirtut on these uh, chalitza documents, the chalitza venture, and therefore you have to have the beginning and the end of the pasuk dot, dot, dot. That's what it means. So you write a certain portion of it. And that's what you tell them to read. In other words, the, the 
because there's no sirtut, you can't write the entire pasuk. You only write the beginning and the end, and then we help them read it along. However, Marzutra didn't like this practice. Yeah, he just did sirtut, and he would come in with the cloth of the chalitza, with the sirtut, and everything written out. Yeah, but you can't take just random psukim. Again, a mezuzah obviously is sanctioned, that we know. But this is not sanctioned. We don't see anywhere in the Torah that tells you to write a star chalitza. But sure enough, we allow this chalitza start document to be written. Finally, with regards to spitting, if she spat and the wind carried it away, lost of lakulim, it has to land on the face. My taima, because it says, but you know, needs to land on his face. Watch this. If the Yavam is tall, she's short. Yeah, if, if it, a little wind carryment, but as long as a little bit gets into his hair or whatever, or her hair, his hair. Oh, so the wind's carrying it up. Okay. And it gets a little bit in front of him. Whatever, that's fine. But if he, she's a lot taller than him, and she spits, and it totally goes over his head. Now, we're going to need the, the spit, the first level with his face. Before it flies away with the wind, it has to go near his face. What if she ate garlic and spat? Or chewed clay and spat? Loss of loklum. It has to be real saliva. It can't just be something else, and we're choshish for this. In modern day procedures, they make sure that it's not like what she's drinking or what she's eating. They let her drink a lot of water and then they wait. They want to have saliva. My time of It says Vyaka, Meatma but It has to be saliva from her, Valeka. It has to be that the spit emerges from the mouth. We have to see it coming out. This juxtaposition of the rabbis have to see the spit. The mitzvah over there, as we said, we weren't sure before. We say that's a dayanim. They have to call him base chalutzah. Now, finally, the, the Gemara says, Tanya, Amar Yuda, We were standing in front of Rabbi Tarfon, and the Yavama wanted to do chalitzah, and he says, You should all say chalutzah now, chalutzah now, chalutzah now. Everybody repeat after me. And thus concludes the procedure of chalitzah. We will. Uh, resume Bezat Hashem tomorrow with the beginning of the 13th parak in Masechus Yivam.